Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome. I'm Heather Shea, CEO and Spiritual Director here at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts in Manhattan. This open-heart conversation hosted by Reverend Dr. Jose Roman welcomes Bishop Kent Larson of the New York Stake of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or LDS Church. Today we will focus on the LDS Church and understanding the revelations given to the prophet and church founder, Joseph Smith. Smith translated an ancient text by the gift and power of God to produce the Book of Mormon, one of the LDS Church's sacred texts. And I think the first thing that, that, that comes to my mind is, how does someone become a bishop? Well, a, a, a bishop, is, in some ways it sounds more than it maybe actually is, but in other ways it's more than it maybe even sounds. Uh, a bishop is the spiritual leader for uh, the smallest uh, uh, organization that we have in the church. That's our, the, the individual congregation or the ward. So it's not terribly different than a Catholic priest. And becoming a bishop is not something that you can really prepare for. You are selected, uh, recommended by uh, the, the, you know, the head of the, the local state, which is the equivalent of a, a diocese. Um, and he, the bishop then recommends uh, who he thinks should be the next bishop of a particular congregation, and that goes on to the church headquarters where it is approved and uh, comes back and is, is acted upon. And um, it's, it's an ordained calling, uh, uh, much like uh, other, uh, uh, other happens in other religions where they lay their hands on your head and uh, ordain you to the office of bishop. It is an office in the priesthood. And um, that's about all I can say about it. I mean, mm. obviously they have qualifications and things they're looking for uh, in, a, in a bishop, looking for somebody of great faith or, or enough faith anyway. Um, they're looking for somebody that um, uh, is is going to be able to actually do the, the the work that's not so compromised in their work that they're they're how they earn a living that they can't provide the services that need to be made um it's as i may not have been clear yet it's uh, not a paid position uh we believe in 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 the lds church in uh a more or less lay clergy. And so all of these local leaders, uh, nobody gets any salary or anything like that. Um, and so they look for these things among others, I think, and, and choose who they think would, uh, the Lord would like to have running that particular congregation. So it sounds like there is a, a somewhat traditional ordination process. There is. Um, I'm just curious, um, do you ever ordain women? Is it we we don't. Um, it's. Uh, 
I don't know that I can point to scriptures that talk about that, but uh, longstanding tradition in the church is that, that women are not ordained. Um, uh, we believe in con continuing revelation, uh, so it's potentially possible, I suppose, but uh, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, members of the church that will look at that and say, no, it's never going to happen. So I don't know. <laughs> That's like other traditions as well. Sometimes. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So in many ways, um, it well, really let me, let me add one thing about that. Um, it's not though, uh, it's not like women don't have a role in the church. Um, and what is a role? There is a ministering role also for women, okay? We have in the church a, a organization called the Relief Society, which is a women's organization, originally set up to, to do what it sounds like, provide relief to other members of the church. And it is, has uh, evolved into something where women are serving the other women in the ward and providing help and support throughout all of the, the entire congregation. Um, as a result, women are... Uh, we don't call it ordination, but we're, they're set apart to over that um, in that role of running the Relief Society and making sure that all of those things happening. Uh, because we're a lay clergy, uh, it's not it's very different than most other religions and, and in, on, on a practical level. Um, all of the positions in the congregation are all done by members who are not being paid, and it is important and almost vital in the way we see running a congregation that everyone have a calling, a responsibility in the church, something that they are supposed to do. So even at the highest letter, level of leadership, they're not paid? Well, my understanding is that they're given a stipend, a living right. stipend, because at that level, their time is so involved. Right. Um, I don't know the details of that. Mm -hmm. um, I do know that on the local level, it, it just there's no payments. But it's a lay church. Happen. It's a lay church. I think the real, the, the sort of the, the beginning question, if you really start exploring the LDS church, it really begins with one individual, and that is this remarkable human being by the name of Joseph Smith. Um, tell us a little bit about who he was. It's a, it's a, in many ways a fascinating story, yeah, I think. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Joseph Smith was, uh, by all accounts, a semi-literate farm boy and uh, grew up in Vermont and then uh, moved to uh, a little town called Palmyra, New York, some, uh, just a bit south of Rochester. And in Palmyra, he... Uh, began to hear a lot about religion in the area where he was. You know, that area of New York became known as uh, the burnt-over district for how much uh, religious fervor was going through the country at that time. And, uh, and Joseph Smith uh, was influenced by that uh, whole thing. And he was looking in the Bible trying to figure out exactly uh, what he should do, where he should, uh, what church he should join. Uh, he, uh, in the spring of 1820, he uh, read in the book of James in the Bible, in the first chapter, fifth verse, where it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And so he decided to do that. He went into the, to the woods near his home and prayed, and there he received a vision. And that vision, in that vision, 
two personages appeared to him who identified themselves as God the Father and Jesus Christ. And that vision, I think, is crucial for Mormonism in a lot of ways because it, 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 uh, it demonstrates uh, some of the key differences between uh, the, the LDS Church and other forms of Christianity. Okay? The, the obvious and the most clear difference is simply that it defined the nature of God differently because God and Jesus Christ were both there as two separate personages, personages that Joseph Smith, in his looking at them, determined had physical bodies. And as educated people who know about religion know, that's not what the Nicene Creed teaches. That's not what most right. of mainstream Christianity teaches. So uh, it was, it's very different. And, and, uh, so he experiences this vision, and, he, and, he, and, he, and it is like a vision of God, and, and God is and Jesus a Christ, physical yeah. male father, and Jesus Christ, the, these two physical entities, and, the, and, and it's literally a revelation of God. Yes. And yeah. what does that revelation say, do, or instruct? It, it was very simple. He said, don't join any of the churches that then existed. And uh, he was told that he had a purpose in, 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 in this life and that over time that purpose would reveal, be revealed to him. Uh, so over the next uh, 10 years, roughly, he went through a series of preparatory steps. And over the rest of his life, he received revelations that uh, uh, led to the formation and building up of what is now the LDS Church. And tell us a little bit about the, the Book of Mormons and how he, he got that learning and, and how that came to pass. Yeah. About six, if my memory is correctly, about six years after this initial vision, uh, Joseph Smith was praying one evening and received a, uh, a visitation from an angel who identified himself as being Moroni, a prophet that had lived here on the uh, American continents uh, thousands of years ago. And Moroni told him that there was a record that he that Joseph Smith needed to procure that was buried in a hill near his home. Uh, over the next four years, Joseph Smith went through some preparatory steps, and then he was able to go and uh, retrieve that record. It was a record that was inscribed on, as he described it, plates of gold, and uh, those uh, plates he, by the gift and power of God, translated into English and was published in the year of 1830 as the Book of Mormon. And um, that also that demonstrates probably another of the, the large differences that exist between the LDS Church and other Christian denominations, and that is that uh, we believe in an open canon in a canon, uh, scriptures that will be added to the uh, Bible, additional scriptures. So the Book of Mormon came first. In addition to that, there were other revelations that Joseph Smith were, was given that were compiled in a book that's today known as the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, the Doctrine and Covenants uh, for, is not formally closed at this point. It is possible, and over my lifetime, I have seen uh, parts added to it. 
and in addition to that, there was a, another book that was uh, revealed to Joseph Smith called The Pearl of Great Price. That um, And these are all sacred These scriptures? are all considered scripture on equal footing with the Bible. The only slight difference is that, um, as we state in the, there's a, a document called the Articles of Faith that uh, Joseph Smith uh, wrote uh, in trying to describe what Mormonism believed, what, what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believes, um, one of the Articles of Faith says that we believe the Bible as far as, as it is translated correctly. And we also believe these other scriptures is what the article says. It, it, it's really interesting. Um, it, you, you mentioned the Nicene Creed and compared it to the Nicene Creed. The, the Nicene Creed in, in the Christian tradition has a true in God, right? Mm -hmm. Trinity. Is there a Holy Spirit, for example, in the Joseph Smith's um, understanding or revelation? Or is that not spoken yes. to? Yes, there's a Holy Spirit. Um, but we believe that the Holy Spirit is a personage of spirit. And so he does not, at this point in time, have a, a body. Mm. Okay? Um, so, and the three of them make up the Godhead, or the, the Trinity, you might say. Um, we tend to not use the word Trinity because it uh, tends to mean the Nicene Creed. And so we use the, the term Godhead instead. So... So Joseph Smith has this revelation. Out of this revelation begins a community. Correct. And then what happened to Joseph Smith? Speak a little bit to that. Well, um, I, should, I should give you a little bit of the history of the early please, church because, please, please. Um, you know, as, over time, Joseph Smith, as he sent out missionaries and tried to convert people to uh, the, the truths that he uh, had revealed to him, um, and, you know, he ran into conflicts with neighbors who didn't like this. Uh, he, the, the center of the church moved from place to place. It moved from Palmyra to uh, an, an area near Cleveland called Kirtland, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And then it moved uh, out to uh, Independence, Missouri. And then back in closer to uh, Chicago to a town called uh, Nauvoo, Illinois. Um, and there in Nauvoo, it was probably the height of the, the, um, the LDS church during Joseph Smith's life. And um, by, the, um, by 1845, 1844, Nauvoo was uh, the second largest city in the state of Illinois, second only to Chicago. It was probably 30,000, 40,000 people. So it was a substantial t city for that time. This was, again, 1844. Uh, in each of these places where the church uh, had settled, uh, they ran into problems either with uh, neighbors or apostates or other people. Um, I, I don't want to make it sound like the church was always the victim and never did anything wrong. I think they had mm -hmm. conflict for, for all sorts of reasons, mm -hmm. including the fact that they, uh, as I understand it, the uh, members of the church tended to vote as a block, and you know, politics make people upset, and so... Really? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, why is that amazing? Uh, anyway, in 1844, um, a, uh, uh, Joseph Smith was accused of a crime, mm -hmm. he was taken to the county seat, and uh, there a mob stormed the jail and killed him and his brother. Um, and uh, at that point, there was a, a succession change in the church, um, and uh, Brigham Young was eventually selected to become uh, Joseph Smith's successor. And uh, uh, by that point also, there were already plans 
in the works anyway for moving the church to the west where they weren't going to have neighbors to um, actually interact with. Um, and so uh, in 1847, 1848, uh, Brigham Young moved the main body of the LDS church to what's now Salt Lake City and established um, what became the state of Utah. Tell us a little bit about Brigham Young. He's another person who's extraordinary. Well, yeah, he, he's, he's called uh, uh, the American Moses. Okay? Mm-hmm. And you can see why, because he took this whole group of people and organized them and brought them, you know, more than a thousand miles through inhospitable and civilized uh, territory to Utah. Um, obviously, he didn't do it alone. There were lots of people. He had a, seemed to have a knack for organizing things. Um, and, and he he brought them there. Um, I have some personal interest in Brigham Young because um, uh, he is a direct ancestor um, through... Uh, it's uh, five generations back, so Brigham Young, and then his son Brigham Young Jr., then his grandson Brigham Young III, and then my grandfather and my mother. Mm. So, um, so you're a direct descendant. A direct descendant of Brigham Young, yeah. Mm. Um, he's, he, like, like all people, he was a complicated uh, man known for, uh, uh, among people that loved him uh, for being a very kind and gentle and wonderful person, and among people that didn't like him as being kind of a stern, hard person, okay? Um, but uh, he had a lot of force of will, and I think to do what he accomplished, uh, had to, he had to be a fairly strong person. Um, he established not only the state of Utah, but um, settlements. Uh, he sent out people to settle the surrounding area, and um, the area that he's was indirectly responsible for settling included parts of Idaho, Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, and down into California. Um, So it was almost an empire in a way. A a huge part of the West uh, was under his um, uh, governorship. Um, So... That's fascinating. I love that you're a direct descendant. That's very, yeah. that's very cool. It's very, I, don't, I didn't have anything to do with that, but <laughs> that's interesting. it definitely happened. And, and tell me, there's this concept of a living prophet. Who, who's the living prophet now, and how, how does that fit into the, yeah. the religion? The living prophet is a man named Russell Nelson, Russell M. Nelson. Um, he is, you know, there's been a chain of successors ever since Joseph Smith. Um, and we believe that the prophet has the responsibility and the... Uh, of being uh, God's mouthpiece on the earth today. You know, the, the word prophet is a, a word if when you trace the etymology back, gets to this idea of mouthpiece or messenger or somebody promulgating what God's word is. And so um, we believe strongly in this idea that uh, there needs to be someone that has that responsibility on the earth um, at, at, at any point in time in 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 our history, that we need that kind of surety or confidence that there's someone that when our Heavenly Father wants to say, this is the way things should be, that there's someone there to, to say it, okay, does, that has that authority. How does someone get that role? <laughs> well, like most of the leadership roles in the church, there's no clear, obvious thing you can do. It's not like you can, I, I don't mean to belittle people that have gone to seminary, but you can't go to seminary for this, okay? You can go to, uh, 
you learn things and um, and it's just a matter of um, uh, of the leadership, the current leadership of the church selecting the people they feel like the Lord wants to serve in a particular position at a particular point in time. And um, I, I, I even want to stay away from the idea that you go up a hierarchy. There is a hierarchy, but not everybody actually goes up the hierarchy. You know, it's, some people are chosen... Like- Outside of the hierarchy, they get to be members. The, the the governing bodies of the church then come down to the the prophet and his. He has two counselors. They're called the first presidency of the church, and then there is a, uh, a second quorum called the quorum of the twelve apostles, similar to the to the twelve apostles that Christ had when he was on the earth, and that quorum of the twelve apostles uh, then. Uh, when a prophet passes away, they are the ones that choose the next prophet, um, usually from among themselves. And by tradition, it is the most senior of the apostles, the person that has been in the Quorum of the Twelve for the longest period of time. Um, I say by tradition because there's nothing that says it has to be that way. But that's what happens. So we've begun to enter a little bit into, if you will, LDS theology. We know that there is this individual who had a revelation, uh, encountered God in the person, in a physical person of these two individuals, God the Father and God the Son. We know that there is an incorporeal God, the Holy Spirit, all of together create the Godhead, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we understand that that's part of the theology. Move us into beyond that. What else? constitutes the major belief systems, if you will, of, of a member of the church? I think it's a little hard to define the major belief systems because there's not like there's a list out there anywhere. There okay. isn't. There's not that I know of. Okay. Okay. I mean, I think that when, so, you, when, you, when you ask a member of the church, what are the major beliefs? So I think they, a lot of them are going to go back to the New Testament and say, well, that Christ said, the, the chief commandments are love God and love your neighbor. Okay. So and that everything else that. follows from that. And I think we right. still follow that. Okay. Right. Um, I think there's more to it than, the, than that for, for members of the church. Um, it seems to me that we come down to four major areas where there's uh, a difference between um, the LDS church and uh, other Christian religions, you know, in, in Christian religions, from what I understand anyway, uh, have three main kind of groupings uh, based literally on when they split off from each other. Mm-hmm. You have um, uh, the Orthodox Christians correct, as a group right. of different Orthodox churches. You have the Catholic Church, and then you have Protestant churches. And um, uh, the LDS Church, in a large respect, doesn't fit into e- any of those three areas. Right. It's its own strand, okay? But um, you would say it's a strand of Christianity. It is clearly a strand of Christianity, um, and, and it's, it's, it's a, a, a kind of important um, to explore why we consider ourselves Christian. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we clearly believe in, Christ, in Jesus Christ. We, we, we worship him, and we feel like he is, um, uh, you know, has done a huge uh, act that, that helps all of us. That is, he atoned for our sins and made it much more possible for us to change and become like 
and meet our potential. Uh, so, 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 so let me let me stop you let, there. Let me let me oh, please, please, please. go ahead and 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 see mention this idea of what it means to be Christian. Of course, okay? please. Um, it comes back to this idea of the Nicene Creed. Okay, the Nicene Creed is before there were any of these splits in Christianity, and so the Orthodox and the Catholics and the Protestants, or what would become the Protestants, were all one one body. And when they sat down and came up with this Nicene Creed, they they decided several things about the nature of God and the nature of human beings, and um, because of that, um, that. Is, is kind of a controlling document as to what we call Christian. And so many of the, uh, uh, of the people in the world who look at the LDS church and say it's not a Christian church mm-hmm. are basing it on this idea that we don't believe in the Nicene Creed. Right. Okay? In addition, I, I, from the reading I've done, I, it seems like there's a policy issue that many of these Christian churches run into that leads them to say, well, you're not a Christian church. And that is, the policy issue comes down to one of baptism. When a Christian church, uh, except in a new member, if they're coming, as I understand it at least, from another Christian church, that person doesn't need to be rebaptized. Okay? Correct. In contrast, members of the LDS Church, if you join the LDS Church, no matter what denomination you're coming from, you have to be rebaptized. And in, con- in, in, you know, in response or in, in, in similar vein anyway, the other ch- Christian churches, when they look at Mormonism, or at the LDS Church, they say, well, we can't accept your baptism either. Mm. Okay. And yet you do accept, let's go back to Christ because it's interesting. And I think it's, you do accept, it seems, please correct me if I'm wrong, that there are three fundamental beliefs regarding Christ that define the Christian faith. Number one is the incarnation. Christ was a, was, is God, was God, and became incarnated in, in this man called Christ. You accept that? Yes. The second We wouldn't is, put it that way, but yes. Excellent. Yeah. The second is the resurrection, that Christ died on the cross for humanity's sins, that would be the classical statement, was buried, and Christ resurrected physically from the grave. You Correct. accept that? Yes. And then, of course, is the atonement. The idea, and you literally just spoke to that, that Christ died on the cross for the sins of humanity. Yeah, exactly. Now, let me go back to this idea of where we're different. I see there's four main areas. The first we've already touched on, and that is the nature of God. Okay? We believe that God has a physical body. Right. And... Um, we also believe that God is in a very literal sense the father of our spirits. We'll be right back to continue our conversation with Bishop Kent Larson and Dr. Roman. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The Voice of an Awakening World. Welcome back. Our program continues with Bishop Kent Larson. We believe that God has a physical body. Right. And um, we also believe that God is in a very literal sense 
the father of our spirits. No different than, you know, your physical father is the father of your physical body. Correct. Okay? And because of that, we look on our, the nature of man and the nature of God in, a, in familial terms. Mm. We look at God and say, he's our father. We realize and we believe that because of that, we existed as spirits before we came to this earth, that we had this pre-mortal life, as we call it, where we were all together, and um, that we then were, came here to this earth and were, were and gained bodies, and that, um, and, and that as children of a heavenly father, we will eventually, after this life, be resurrected also, like Jesus Christ, return to having a physical body, a perfected or exalted physical body, and then, then we will continue through the eternities, still part of this huge spiritual family of our Heavenly Father. And so we see things in familial terms in a way that I don't think other Christian churches quite do. And we see ourselves not as just spirits, but as beings that are in the process of becoming perfected, exalted beings of not only spirit, but also physical body for the eternities. It's fascinating because that really does begin to hint at why family is so important within the LDS tradition. I mean, I've always had a sense that uh, man and woman getting together, getting married, having children, that family is unbelievably important in, in the LDS uh, tradition. Please, isn't that true? It's absolutely true. And, absolutely. And it sounds like this process isn't as much the concept of reincarnation as it is the family tradition continuing. Right. Yeah. Throughout, throughout yes. infinity. Yes. I mean, look, a lot of this we have really a, only a little bit more than everybody else has. Okay. We have these additional scriptures that tell us things. And um, some of the things that, that uh, get passed around about uh, LDS beliefs um, are extrapolations and ideas that, that, that come from this idea of family and believing the, in the eternities. We don't know exactly how all of this works, okay? We know we're going to pass away at one point in this life, mm-hmm. and we're going to go on to another life, and that we, we uh, believe that we will be resurrected and that we will somehow continue in families. But what that's like, we don't know. We don't. Um, the, the other thing you were saying um, about the Christian religion before is that you celebrate Christmas and Easter and some of the We, the we celebrate the, the major Christian holidays. Um, we don't have um, any real uh, religious holidays that um, we celebrate that are different from the Christian holidays. So Christmas and Easter and those kind of things. Um, many, many members of the church celebrate what's called Pioneer Day, which is the day when uh, Brigham Young and the saints entered the Salt Lake Valley. But it's more of a commemoration rather than having any religious significance whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, we, we celebrate the Christian holidays. Um, another area where there's a difference between uh, uh, 
well, let me, let me finish the four areas that I think are important. So the nature of God is one of them. The, um, the idea of authority is another area where we uh, see authority as being uh, paramount of paramount importance. Um, I, I, in, in researching and preparing for this, um, I uh, uh, listened to the open heart conversation you had uh, recently with Dr. Ivy, and he talked about how uh, the Christianity churn- changed in the first 50 or so years after the death of, of Jesus Christ. And I think Mormons would agree with that, that there was a change. And our belief is that somehow in that process, the authority to act in God's name was lost from the earth. And we went through a long period until Joseph Smith of not having that authority on earth. And as a result of that belief, we have very strong and important respect for uh, having authority in those that are, who are our leaders and having them um, you know, actually be uh, uh, in an unbroken chain from God ordained to, um, to, to fill the leadership roles that are out there. Um, I have, uh, I'm able, if I, if I can go back home and get it, I have a, a card that my uh, dad prepared at one point that uh, traced what's called the line of authority and it's literally just a listing of all of these ordinations that happen person by person that trace directly from God to my father. And then my father was the one who ordained me. And so it's, it's literally a, 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 a list of exactly how that authority got there. Okay. Um, so authority is something we find uh, very important. Um, also in, in major difference is how we see the, um, the purpose of life. Because we see us as being members of a family, um, our destiny is to try to grow and become like our heavenly Father is. So we, we're, that's, that's what we see as our destiny. And as a result, um, we, we f- find this enabling or... or, or um, we find this worth in our souls that you don't necessarily see out in, in those that don't believe in God, you know. Um, I, we have a scripture that says, uh, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. Uh, I think there's nothing more important than that, okay? Yeah, and, it, and it's probably something that, that, that follows most Christianity, I, I think, because in most of Christianity, we, we, we realize that the purpose of Jesus Christ coming here on the earth, and the purpose of the atonement, is to save us. And so if God sent Jesus Christ to do that, then obviously he values our, our souls, you know, to a huge amount, mm-hmm. you know? Why would you allow somebody to die like that, suffer the sins of the world, if the worth of every single person on the earth wasn't important to you? Does that make sense? I think, yes. I think it does. Um, and the fourth. The fourth. It'll come to me. So let me, real quickly, and, I, 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 and I'm not trying to be cheeky. I'm actually trying to, to if God, in, sen- in a sense, we are mimicking God's family, in a sense, right? We are becoming, we're mirroring. We're, does God have a wife? Well, yes. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's our belief. Mm-hmm. We don't 
for various traditional reasons, we don't uh, talk about it a lot. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's found in our scripture, but it is something that has been taught by uh, leaders of the church over over the years. Uh, it seems to originate in some of the things that, Jesus, that Joseph Smith taught and was extrapolated on by uh, people that lived in his time. Um, one of the early poets uh, of, of Joseph Smith's day, a, a woman named uh, Eliza R. Snow, uh, wrote a hymn called... Uh, <laughs> oh, my father, thank you. <laughs> And, and in, in Oh My Father, in the line, she has a line that says, you know, uh, that, that, that promulgates this idea that actually mentions the idea that, um, that we have a heavenly mother also. Um, and uh, A heavenly divine mother. A heavenly divine mother. Part of, if you, now, the Godhead. This is an area where there's just simply not a lot of theology. Right. Okay. And, um, I, you know, I would dearly love to know more, <laughs> but you work with what you got. Right. So. And this goes back to, again, the idea of family, the importance of family. And we were talking earlier about community. So maybe you can talk more yeah. about the community because that also seems to be an essential part. Yeah. Somehow in this process of um, the LDS Church moving from place to place and ending up in Utah, um, I think that the opposition and the need to travel together and the need to cooperate really built, built strong bonds among members of the church that uh, weren't there before. And then they settled these little towns all throughout Utah. And as they settled all these towns, they, they developed a certain ethic of a way of doing things. Um, and, and the belief or the way of looking at this is that you simply try not to leave anybody out. Okay, that everybody is part of the community. You know, we talk about baptism as being one of the major ordinances of, of joining the church, and baptism is important. We record the baptisms. We are told that we must record these baptisms. This was scripture that told us this. And uh, as a result, we keep track of everybody that's been baptized. We try to keep track of where they are. We try, when they move, if they don't tell us, we try to find out where they went, and send the record to the congregation where they're living, okay? Um, as a result of this, our congregations are built on this idea that whoever lives there is part of the congregation. Our congregations are organized geographically, and so you belong to the congregation where you live. And because you belong to the congregation where you live, you sometimes uh, rub shoulders with people you might not like, okay? <laughs> it means that you have to learn to get along with people, okay? It means that you're part of the community, and community is, is hard. Commu working in a community means that you have to try to figure out how to get along. Um, and, and, and look, I don't like to criticize other, other religions, other ways of doing things, but the advantage behind this is that you grow people that know that you have to get along, and you don't get to just choose going to the congregation because, oh, well, I like that better. I like what they say. Um, uh, you know, Ryle Niebuhr is, is credited with saying that the purpose of uh, sermons um, is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. And I think that that's kind of what's going on when you are in a, a, a congregation, a, a community, the community tends to afflict you in various ways. It's things you don't like. 
and but it's also there to comfort you. Uh, one of the big strengths that um, that members of the church know about is that if they move far away to a foreign city, and they arrive in their moving van. They know that all they have to do is make a phone call ahead of time and tell the local congregation they're coming, and they will have six or eight or ten men there to help unload the, the truck and put everything in their one. That's and, extraordinary. And when you're when you're moving, you tell the ward the, the wow. congregation ahead of time, and they come help you. That's okay? amazing. When somebody is ill, um, you 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 bring food right. or you do whatever is needed to, to help them and, and give them what they need. Um, my wife and I took a meal this past week to a family in our congregation who just had a new baby, you know, and it's a wonderful thing. And could they get along without it? Probably. Okay. Could many of these families that are moving get along without um, uh, moving help? Probably. I have a friend who's a, a, a um, He's a finance guy, and he's into economics and everything, and he thinks that, you know, in a sense, this is robbing somebody else of the ability to sell their moving van services, right? <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, the, it's what we do. It's, what, it's, it's, that's but, the community. But it's correct, but it's interesting how... Uh, it's interesting modern times. I told you about those emails that I've been getting of people yeah. asking questions. And about two, two, of the, two of those emails was basically about ask him what it is that's allowed the church to grow so quickly. How, the, how have these guys ended up being international? Blah, 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 blah. And of course, one of them was like, you know, it's all branding. So figure out how they branded themselves. <laughs> and, and I hope my friends are right now watching. And these are colleagues at, at a major university, I might add. And I hope they're watching right now because I think you just gave an answer. It's not a secret, but you've given an answer to their question. Yeah. That's how you do it. It's by truly building true community, by being there for people in times of both joy and especially in times of need. What is not attractive about that? That yeah. is unbelievably attractive. One of my personal hobby horses with, with um, uh, understanding the LDS Church and understanding uh, things is, is this idea of uh, of community because um, community comes not from, I mean, it's influenced by the beliefs, but it also comes from the culture that's developed. Absolutely right. And, and the LDS Church has over decades and decades built this culture. And the right. culture says that this is what we do. Okay? And it, it's all over the way we act in our community. It's It's in the fact that you know, we have these traditions of helping people with moving. It's in the fact that, you know, we have um, a, a responsibility that we give to both all of the adult males and all the, all the adult women in the church of being what's called a minister. Um, we call them ministering brothers or ministering sisters, where you are responsible for a number of other families in the congregation. And you're supposed to get to, you know, it doesn't happen completely, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, we're supposed to get to know those people. We're supposed to help them. We're supposed to know what's going on in their 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 family. We're supposed to be there so that if something goes wrong, they know they can simply give a call to whoever the ministering brothers and the ministering sisters are for that family, and just they'll show up and they'll help. Right. That's that's really lovely. And I'm, I'm curious, what's what's a week like? Are there Sunday services? Are there services during the week? What's a kind of a, a day in the life or a week in the life? Okay. What, what, for most members of the church, it starts on a Sunday morning with a normal, um, a normal service. Um, our services are currently divided into 
it's a two-hour block of, of meetings. Um, usually it starts with a, what we call a sacrament meeting, which is our main work worship service where the Lord's Supper is uh, presented. Um, unlike, um, unlike most other Christian churches, um, uh, the uh, bishop of that congregation um, doesn't give a sermon each Sunday, um, which is somewhat a relief. <laughs> you don't have to give a sermon every week. <laughs> um, but, but members of the congregation are called on to give up, to get up and give short talks, okay? Um, and, and that's the bulk of, of, uh, of these meetings. Um, now, they're not trained as speakers, and so I don't know that the sermons are always um, as good as what a professional clergy would give. But on the other hand, um, the people don't have to give them that frequently. Um, so members of the, of the congregation are going to stand up and, and, and give uh, sermons, usually two or three um, during that, that, that hour, along with the presentation of the, the Lord's Supper. Um, one Sunday a week, we have what's called Fast Sunday. Fast Sunday is where uh, members are asked to fast for 24 hours and donate the money that they would give, uh, they would use to purchase the food for that day um, to what's called a fast offering fund the church has that is used to help those who are less fortunate. And during Fast Sunday, it's, well, we joke about it, we call it Open Mic Sunday because anybody can get up out of the congregation and come up <laughs> and present their feelings or their testimony about the gospel. Um, uh, for most members during the week, they, of course, go to their work and do have their normal activities. There are sometimes um, uh, activities during the evenings during the week uh, for the youth, um, uh, you know, teenagers, and some of the um, children. There are activities in, in our areas every Friday night. So they, you come to a Friday night at the church building and there's always somebody there and there's classes and activities. Um, the boys have, are in, in Boy Scouts, although apparently that's going away at the end of the year. Um, the, the girls have their activities and, you know, there's, it's a way of just kind of getting them involved in doing things. Um, the, we don't because we don't have uh, paid clergy. We also don't have at this point in time paid, janit paid janitorial staff, and so members of the congregation will often come on, uh, usually Saturday morning or sometime during the the, the week to do the cleaning in the building. Mm. Um, Saturdays there are often um, events at the at the church building. We'll have parties and the normal social kind of events. Um, for many members of the church that are old enough, uh, during the week, they will um, uh, take some time and go down to uh, the temple downtown and do the ordinances that are available at the, at the temple. Um, those ordinances are generally, um, uh, except for the first time you go through, they're done vicariously uh, on behalf of those who have passed away without knowing uh, the LDS Church or our beliefs, and so and have, without having had a chance to do these ordinances for themselves, it's a way. Uh, it's 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 our way of making um, the gospel universal, so that it's available to everybody. And we believe then that um, the 
the people who have had these ordinances done for them can then in the afternight life choose whether to accept them or not. Mm. Okay? Um, so uh, it's, this is the, the, the foundation and the reason why uh, members of our church are so well known for uh, doing genealogy. Right. And getting involved with studying our, the history of our, our ancestors. It's in part just to know them and to, to make that connection with them, but it's also so that we can collect the information and do these ordinances for them when they haven't been done before. I'm, I'm just curious, you went through that process. You mentioned the, the, the Lord's Supper. Is it, it's um, like a communion. Yeah. Each week, or a version of that. Was it similar in nature to what you might experience in other? Yes, it, I, I, it, it's fairly simple. Uh, we we use water instead of wine in in uh, in the sacrament in the mm-hmm. Lord's Supper, uh, but it's it's literally you'll you see um, the members of the priesthood. The, in, in this case, the young men are usually the ones that do it. Uh, so it's teenagers, um, and uh, they will bless and. Uh, and then take on uh, little trays the bread and the water around to every member of the congregation. So it's yeah, it's different than the Catholics of the people aren't going up to the front to receive it. We're yeah. going to move on to audience questions, but before we do that, can someone just come in and participate in one of those services? Is that Absolutely. public? It is. Absolutely. The public. You know, I'll, the tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story. I'll tell you a fu- funny story. Um, in our congregation up in Inwood, um, we've attracted... Sometimes people that, um, you know, are just people in the neighborhood. And um, we've had this uh, uh, young man by the name of Timothy that would uh, come in sometimes during our meetings. And and, uh, Timothy is um, uh, mentally deficient in some ways. He's he's not, um, but he's nice and he doesn't cause a, a stir in anything. And he will sometimes walk into our meetings right during the middle of, sometimes in the middle of the presentation of the sacrament, and you're like, oh no, please don't do anything you shouldn't do that'll just disturb <laughs> things. But he, he, he will just sit down on the bench usually. He'll sometimes pick up a hymnal and thumb through the hymnal and just not really look at anything. And then he'll pick, put the hymnal back down, and after 10 minutes maybe, he'll stand up, wave to everybody in the congregation, and leave. <laughs> and, and, and that's fine. Okay? It's totally public. It's, it's not a problem, you okay. know? I mean, he hasn't caused a disturbance. It hasn't been a problem. Uh, we accept everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. And, and I think, really, we just want to, we want to have the opportunity of, of loving people, of participating in the community, of, of, of welcoming them. And, and I think the, the, the only place where I think we don't do well enough in this is that uh, we tend, like many churches, to be um, a little insular. So we, we don't mind. We welcome anybody that wants to come, but we're not as, we're, we're not as apt to go out and right. visit other people. We should. Right. We keep hearing the word Mormon, and I, and of course you can't, yeah. if anybody who reads the New York Times knows that recently the living prophet did speak to that issue of whether yes. or not you should call yourselves Mormon. He cited a, a scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants that states that the name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mormon is a nickname that members of the church and the church picked up. It was given to us by, you know, those around us, the community, um, and, and it all comes from the fact that Joseph Smith had translated this record called the Book of Mormon, okay, that's now our scripture. And so they transferred the name from the book to the church, and that's how we're 
often colloquially, colloquially known. Um, of course, it's easier in a lot of ways to use Mormon instead of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's a mouthful to say the whole thing. Um, I, it's, it's a recent enough emphasis or change that um, I'm still having trouble with it, to be honest. Okay, <laughs> and, and, and I what, still say it. And yeah. what is Mormon? Of Mormon, is that a place? Was it a person? What is? Uh, yeah, the Book of Mormon is called the Book of Mormon because the major compiler of all these ancient records. It, 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 the Book of Mormon is similar to the Bible. It's a, a bunch of individual books written by I forget exactly how many, eight or ten different people, and. Um, so uh, there was a prophet named Mormon in the, these ancient times who then compiled all these records to get together into a single record, which is what we have in the Book of Mormon. And would Mormon been alive around the time that Christ was alive, or it would have been he recorded been afterwards? A bit afterwards. I would say about 350 to 400 years after Christ. Um, yeah. And, and then late, of the later Latter-day Saints, what is that? Where did that come? Uh, of the Latter Day the Saints. The Latter Day Saints. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of a way of distinguishing but, uh, the people who live today from the people at the time of Christ. We don't, um, when we use the term saint, we're not using it in the Catholic uh, uh, terminology of a person who should be revered and has, you know, been a um, you know an outstanding example of how to live a Christian life. Um, instead, we refer to all of the members of the church as saints, okay? And so when we say Latter-day Saints, we just mean the people that are living today. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to having you join us next time or come visit us in person at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts here in Manhattan, up in Washington Heights. To find out more about our programming, go to www.unitedpalace.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 